I want winners. I want people that want to win. You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. You got to put your money where your mouth is, Pete. It's not gambling advice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Not Gambling Advice. It is Wednesday, June 29th, and I'm Peter Apple, and we're about to get into a phenomenal interview with Darren Rovell, Senior Executive Producer for the Action Network. We're going to talk gambling, we're going to talk trading cards, and this interview you can also find on the Just Baseball Show, but I thought it would be great to add it to our Wednesday episode because there's a lot of great information about betting, about trading cards that I thought we all should know about. So without further ado, here's Darren Rovell. We welcome on Darren Rovell, a sports business analyst and Emmy Award winner and one of the youngest on-air hires that ESPN has ever had. He worked at CNBC and is now the senior executive producer at the Action Network. Darren, thank you for joining the Just Baseball Show. How are you doing? Peter, how are you? Doing amazing, doing amazing. And we met at a loop event and we had to just have you on because I was floored by your collection. I couldn't even really respond to you because you just kept pulling out pieces of history. Yeah, you kind of did have your mouth aghast a little bit. I mean, even when you were showing us some of these tickets at the beginning, we have no, how do you respond to some of these pieces of history? Um, And so I can't stop thinking about it. So, but it wasn't just vintage baseball cards. And that's why I was so floored. It was tickets. So first question for you, you've transitioned kind of over to tickets. Talk to us about that instead of the vintage baseball cards. So for my whole life, I've been a niche guy, you know, uh, when fifth in fifth grade, when everyone was collecting stickers, even the guys at the time, not my fault, I'm just telling you what it is. I collected fuzzy armadillos and I had 750 of them, like a serial, <laughs> like a serial killer. I'd be like, how do you like my fuzzy armadillos? And the reason why is because I tried to own the entire population of fuzzy armadillos. And if you want to trade me for something, I don't know, whatever. I've always been a niche guy. I've been a sports business journalist. I've always done kind of niche collecting. So I'm comfortable when there's less liquidity, right? Baseball cards. What did this sell for yesterday? Oh, I could turn it into cash for this today. I felt comfortable in markets where there's less liquidity, where there's fewer people collecting it, but also where I have an arbitrage situation. So three years ago, really, I found out that PSA was grading tickets. They, of course, grade cards. I said to myself, card companies come up with false scarcity. Tickets are really scarce because there has never been any place to hold them not in a binder. You'd have to put it on a bulletin board or be in a shoebox. And over time, there's attrition. And then I started learning about all these nuances like, okay, there's only 22 Bartman tickets. How could that be? It's the 2003 NLCS. Why wouldn't there be more? Well, because 99% of the people in Wrigley Field are Cubs fans, and they sure as hell do not want that curse of a ticket in their house. Gone. Probably 95% gone that night. Uh, The Jordan Elo shot, like, again, happens in Cleveland. Gone. So... So it, it was interesting for me. I loved the, the, all the nuances to it. 
And there was a lot of arbitrage too, because card people didn't find it comfortable to get into tickets initially because they were, it's, it was in the world of no comps. How do I know what to offer? And so for me, I had confidence that something was so great that even if it hadn't ever sold, I would come up with a price to get it. And I felt like it would be worth more tomorrow. How have you seen the market kind of change over the last couple of years? You talk about PSA starting to grade it. Of course, that probably had some sort of impact on the market overall. But uh, how have you seen the card market and, and I mean, sorry, ticket market in general kind of adapt over the last couple? Well, of years? What's, what's interesting is then the card people got into it and there were several things that I did not account for. One, that people would actually care about the, the exact condition of the ticket and people would pay 5x for a PSA 8 ticket versus a PSA 5 ticket. I didn't account for that. I was just trying to get the tickets. I thought some of these were so scarce, so I didn't get that. I also didn't account for the debut market, right? So the card people came over and they said, wait, first day in uniform, that's the equivalent of the rookie card. That to me, and I didn't want to crap on the market because the market rose all of a sudden and my collection was certainly going up. And I think some of it was me talking about it so much, but I didn't want to dump on that. But for me, it's always been history and the moment. Like there is no rookie card. It's the moment. That's what makes tickets special. It harkens back to that moment instead of just a picture taken in a moment in time. So if you were to tell me that, the most pristine Hank Aaron 715 ticket sold for uh, signed, sold for $15,000. And the most pristine Hank Aaron debut in which he went 0 for 4 in a stupid game goes for $85,000. To me, that doesn't make sense, but it's, it's, it's interesting. So those were the two things that when the card people got into it and they checked the populations and they, they got into condition and they got into debuts. And, and we're talking with Darren Ravel of the Action Network. And we're, of course, we're going to talk about the gambling market um, as he's a pro in it. But you've got to take us down memory lane at least a little bit. Some of the tickets that you have on hand. Just I'm just opening you up for stories because that's what I was doing at the Loop event. I just I just couldn't stop talking about it. We got we uh, you know, I don't have the best of my collection in my house at all times, obviously. But I have anything that was kind of recent with an anniversary is recently the 45th anniversary of Elvis's last performance. Um, I think there are maybe 10 total stubs and mine. I, I really wanted the full Elvis on there. So that's the full. Elvis, his last performance. Wow. And for people watching on YouTube, I mean, look at that ticket. That's yeah. the Elvis ticket. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, it's a PSA two. In, um, it was Madison Square Arena. It was Market Square Arena oh in, in uh, Indianapolis. Now, this is kind of the the nuances. So, this is uh, a Met, for a ticket to a Mets game, uh, field level box. Uh, it is July thirteenth. 1977 and the slab will tell you that it's the day the blackout happened now the blackout in new york city in 1977 is important because it is believed to be the the birth of hip-hop because let's just say this in a nice manner people who couldn't afford turntables all of a sudden had them in their hands and so when the blackout happened the looting happened and then all of a sudden people were sampling and then hip hop was born. So the fact that you have something that a crossover like this 
Um, again, what's the value of it? It's the value of me telling the story to you and tell you, telling you that I own it. Um, space to me is, uh, is something that with Bezos and Branson and, and, and Musk into it, um, it's assured to be a great collectible. Um, there are eight launch passes to see Apollo 11 being launched into the moon. I've had six of them. Um, I sold a couple of them, but I, I still have, I still have four, you know, and they're just, they're, you know, the launch to me, it's just an, it's just an amazing, unbelievable. it's unbelievable yeah. that, you know, you, you looked up and this was the launch to the moon. Um, so that's, that's a good one. I I've saved all my, my passes, my media passes over the years, and I've recently gotten them slabbed, you know, obviously not for sale, but this is the LeBron draft. Oh, that is super cool. You know, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you, you, you have that. And um, so we, we, we got that. I'm trying to think about, uh, you know, and then the other thing is, so like, for example, um, I figure out other things that happened in a game when something's selling for not a lot of money. So game two of the 19, I'll give this secret away. Let's see the people who pounce on it on eBay first. <laughs> Maybe you guys do. Uh Game two of the 1972 World Series is what is Jackie Robinson's last public appearance. So nine days later, he died. So I bought a slew of those and got them graded as Jackie Robinson's last public appearance. They, they're about 50 bucks each. They should be like 200, 250 easy. Um, let's see what else we got here. Uh, this is a good one. This is a press pass to the 1962 MLB All-Star Game, JFK. That looks like a baggage ticket. I know JFK JFK throughout the first pitch. Wow. Um, so that that's the history. That's so that. what, what would you evaluate or what would you take a guess? Cause you know, we talk about just the value of, of certain markets and um, what would you say that the, the ticket market at this point uh, could be? I think the ticket, the, I think the ticket market's probably around a hundred million. Uh, where do you think it could be in the next five? Oh, I, 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 I think he could get to a billion dollars um, in the next in the next five to eight years. I mean, unfortunately, we don't have tickets, physical tickets coming out now. Um, but, I, you know, again, I think just like Peter, it, you know, and I don't know if you Aram, get it in the same way, but like you get it like it's like, holy crap, these are pieces of history. Um, I think it, you know, when at the national, when there's so many people with modern basketball, and then all of a sudden you see my display of tickets, people stop, um, you know, and I haven't sold much against this. Uh, I've sold less, way less than 1% of my collection. I'm still very, very uh, boffo about this market. This is, this is uh, 25 years ago today, the Tyson Holyfield ticket. I it's saw you tweet coolest that shit out, ever, which is <laughs> and it, and absolutely awesome. Signed by Tyson. Yeah. So. Okay. And, and Darren, similar. So when we talked to Bob Costas, I had to ask him sort of a trivial question because I just had to know, like, who is his favorite player of all time? Just something simple like that. So when I'm talking to Darren Vell, I have to ask you, what is one piece from your collection that if you had to sell everything else, this is a terrible hypothetical because it would never happen. But if you had to keep one piece from your collection, what is it? The first day at Disneyland. <laughs> he had it ready to go. He's so, up the first. Yeah, July, the first, or is it July seventeenth, nineteen fifty-five? Yes, and on the back it has it's my birthday minus fifty-five part. Yeah, July seventeenth, ninety-seven. Wow, that's a little awesome. bit after that. Is, is that the whole map of Disneyland? 
it's the map of Disneyland and the route that the ABC TV was going to show. Wow. You have to, you have to tell us why the Disneyland piece. I mean, I just think it's so mind blowing. First of all, it's pristine. Yeah. That thing is, it comes from the, uh, uh, collect the estate of Hamilton Lusk, who is Walt Disney's chief cartoonist. So it's like, you know, it's just so ridiculous. Um, (laughs) You know, I, I, that that's just one of them. I, I think, you know, there, there, there's, there's a bunch that I love, um, and 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 it gets sometimes it just sometimes it gets it's just it's funny, you know. Uh, let's see which I'm trying. I just I love, have, he's just going through his cabinet, taking out pieces of history right now. Yeah, which, yeah, which is I mean, the like, unbelievable part. Like obviously, I use my access, so this is the this was after uh before arm was born so this is the kerry strug vault from the 96 olympics when she oh. landed she landed on one leg you know and so i got i used my uh context to get kerry to sign that um, yeah i mean they're all good listen one ticket that's more available than i ever thought is disco demolition night for some <laughs> reason a, a lot of tickets were kept from that night uh, oh, maybe because it w- everyone knew that that was going to be remembered for a little I, bit. I, I, I guess. I mean that 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 was a that was a crazy situation. I just got this one recently. This is the night that Osama bin Laden died. It got killed, and I'm going to have it signed at the National by Robert O'Neill, the guy who killed him. So <laughs> when. Arm and I, for anyone watching on YouTube, our mouths are just wide open. I, it's so, it's unbelievable. Okay, how do you get in touch with the guy who killed Osama bin Laden? He, he's out there. He's on like a major autograph tour. Like it's, it's, <laughs> no, I swear to God, it seems like, it seems like it would be against policy or something like that. But, but he is out there. He's, he's signed at the National. You know, some of the things about- Is it t- the National? Yeah, some of the people that things about tickets is like sometimes the ticket is so bad, but if it was there, it was there. Um, this is the famous F. Bucky Dent game, uh, the Yankees, wow. uh, uh, Red Sox. You know, um, one of the things that I also didn't account for is people love um, uh, full tickets. And I think that's, that's the card person in them. Full yeah. tickets are important. The issue for full tickets for me, like, so Secretariat winning the Belmont, I own one of two tickets. And uh, it was the most amazing. That, that's the place I would have. That's just such a low-key drop. I, I, I own one of the tickets. <laughs> I, I, I would have wanted to be at that event. And the fact that mine is ripped off in the corner and the person went to see it with their own two eyes is much more important than if that was full. Yeah. Huh. So that's another part of the market. I mean, there's just great intricacies in the market. Um, and a question for, for you, because I know you talk about identifying niche markets and, and you like to find areas where, you know, maybe you're beating the crowd. I'm in a lot more. I'm in, I'm in video. I was in video games. I sold out into that. I, I'm, 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 I've made a significant investment in VHS and my last niche market, and you guys won't understand this because this is really the 40 to 50 year old market is uh, sealed 84 to 86 WWF wrestlers. Really? Yeah. Is, is there anything that you look at now and you say this is, this is the next thing that could really you know explode? I'll tell you after I buy $50,000 worth of it. That's fair. That's uh, very fair. Uh, <laughs> No, I listen. I mean, I focus on tickets. Um, uh, I, I, I actually do. I'll give you one. 
I do think that that drawings, um, sketches are going to explode because they're being put in PSA slabs now. Anything that you can put in a slab, uh, I think PSA is kind of given value to. So the Charles Schultz peanuts uh, uh, cartoons or an early Walt Disney stuff. This is not cheap. It's very hard to buy in, but I think it will multiple X over the next couple of years. I did try to go into business cards. I do have Bill Gates's first business card. The, Never thought of that. Prob- that makes sense. The problem is that they're very easy to copy and the authenticity is hard. And so you have to think about that. I did delve into sealed uh, iPhone ones. That, that was something I looked into. Um, so I was looking into that. I was, uh, so I met with some guys from Apple. And I said, tell me what is an authentic seal for the iPhone one Apple lifers. There were a couple choices and they said they couldn't tell me. And so I said, I was out. So they weren't able to like authenticate. uh, They weren't able to tell me kind of like, what was the, which way the seal was, if these two were acceptable or not. And at $15,000, there's obviously going to be sealing fraud that happened. And so I, I, I then determined, okay, I can't go into this market. And so switching over to the betting side, um, cause I, you know, I'm a huge gambler and I've been betting on sports now since I was 19, but I'm 24 now. So I'm kind of naive. I've only been in the game for five years since computers were really a thing. And now we have such strong analytics and such strong lines that I feel like the numbers are already in there before they even happen. But, you know, go back around 20 years or so. There's some people I talked to, you know, people who play the ponies, people who've been betting on baseball for a long time now that maybe the lines weren't as sharp then because you have a person putting the numbers in by hand oh, rather people, than people these... used to, Peter, people used to fly around the country to get a better line. I That's mean... what I'm saying. So <laughs> yeah. can you, can you kind of speak to the difference in lines? Like, do you think, I know this might be just a general question, but do you think it's harder to gamble right now? Like, do you think that these lines are so much sharper and could you won a lot more money 20 years ago compared to now? Or do you think a lot of of this with the algorithms, you know, every day, the lines are sharper. They get games loaded into them. So the question is, how do you get sharper? And that is, you know, I, I, I line shop. There are a lot, there, there are massive gaps sometimes, especially live betting. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I am a, psychoanalyst type guy like if the tv if and if if the tv commentary says something i'll go the other way you know so i think again this is kind of a niche thing one of the things i specialize i i would tell everyone that just like you don't specialize in every sport you should specialize on in one thing in gambling what are you good at so what i'm good at is live unders <laughs> that's awesome. That's just that's great. So explain why live unders and when did you realize you're good at live unders? Well, so first of all, in the algorithm, the algorithm puts in the expected better psychology, and more people go with the overs because it's more fun. Mm-hmm. I have trained myself to 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 hope for no runs and for games to be boring. My kid, my kids know this. They say, ah, daddy's rooting for a horrible game again, right? Because I, because I am. And, and so, so if you think every day the computer model gets smarter, what is it assuming? And it is assuming 
and this is a very small edge, but it's assuming that the better wants to have fun and want, let's get some runs here. Um, so I, my, my specialty is, is to try to do unders. Now, another thing I do is to beat the algorithm. You do not have to live. You do not have to accept what is in there. So let's say it's, it's Yankees, um, Astros and the lie and it's three, nothing Astros and, uh, the live under is five and a half and it's the sixth inning. I usually do not take a total at that point that that the book is offering. I see if I can get an alternate total that could give me six and a half or seven. Obviously, it will be like minus 200 odds, but I'll have a so much better chance of winning. So I'm I'm paying more for. So what I would also say as a piece of advice is there's now all these all totals don't be scared to go back a little bit more and be a little bit more comfortable. Okay. And to that point too, because I was even reading on the action network that your best bet, you won $68,000 off a $1,500 bet on Northwestern, but then you actually cash it out. Do you find yourself doing that all the time? Because you know, the typical thing in the gambling space is, Oh, you can never cash out. You can never, that's the only time I ever cashed out because, you know, I mean, it was just, I, I had the year before Northwestern was like three and eight, uh, three and nine. And uh, they got two. the transfer portal was just starting and they got two transfers in positions that they needed help who were good. And mm-hmm. I didn't think that they were accounting for it. So it was 1500 to win 238,000 strung it all the way to the big 10 championship game. It was for them to win the big 10 championship. Uh, they were up like 10, seven at the half. They offered me like 71,000. I said, no, my wife is screaming in the background, you effing idiot. <laughs> um, and, and I'm like, well, they get the kick in the second half. So like, can we just wait? She's like, yeah, they can fumble the ball. And they went, went all the way down. There was an interception by Ohio State. They gave, offered me 68,000. And then this is the sign of a true better. Then on a total non-play, like it was not like Ohio State scored the touch and I, it said on my Twitter feed, uh, Greg Newsom, lower body injury will not play the second half. And Greg Newsom's the cornerback. If you watch the NFL, he was the rookie cornerback who had an incredible year for the Browns. He's a shutdown corner. Northwestern doesn't go too deep. So knowing that, I was like, all right, I'm out because he's out. The guy behind him is not going to be able to take Ohio State. And so I got out of 68,000 and then Ohio State rolled. So that was the best bet. What was the bet that got Darren Ravel hooked? The hooked as in like the worst bet? No, no, just the bet that got you started because I even remember the bet that got me started and would really loving was I mean, gaining. Just the fact that I was in, you know, for uh, I had to be careful because I could, you know, because I'm a E-list celebrity, uh, I had to I, I had to make sure that I wasn't like, getting in trouble with bookies and stuff like that. So I really, I covered sports betting since 2002, but I really wasn't betting until really in like 2018, New Jersey gets it first. I think that was the watershed moment for me. And I realized I was going to want to go into the business of reporting on gambling. So I realized I had to be a gambler as well. 
Okay, so that makes sense. Because I was saying my bet that kind of got me hooked was Game 7 of the World Series. And, you know, I had the Chicago Cubs money line oh, in that incredible man. game. I mean, that was that was just an unbelievable bet. And you that just sweated made through me... a rain delay, too. But, I mean, it was just the most unbelievable game of all time. And the Chicago Cubs ended up winning and, and, and breaking the streak. My so mind, I was wondering if I there was a, a story good... for you. Yeah, I'm, I made a good reporting decision there. Uh, I did not go to Cleveland. I stayed in Wrigleyville to watch it with the fans, and I got some awesome. incredible video. So speaking to Wrigleyville and, and Wrigley Field in general, uh, you guys put out on the Action Network, there was a tweet today about kind of like the renderings of the sports book, the DraftKings sports book that will be there presumably in 2023. And, and this is something that we knew was coming, but – not until I really saw the renderings that it really uh, set in. And I, it made me even more excited to talk to you because this is, we know how baseball is, right? I mean, we saw, you know, how just anti-betting the sport has been for so long. And, and now we're seeing how much money that's pumping into baseball. And now one of the most historic stadiums uh, in sports is going to have a sports book in it. Can you talk a little bit about just what this means for betting and baseball in tandem in the future and, and how much you think that's going to integrate into the sport as we continue to move forward? So Rob Manfred, when he finally, and all the commissioners were against betting, but Rob Manfred, when he finally uh, uh, decided to, I mean, once it was legal and they decided to do the sponsorship, uh, I think it was with Caesars that they opened it up with, Um, you know, he said, this will help make our game seem faster. And at first I was like, okay, that makes a little bit of sense. But then I realized that it's a little bit of fool's gold because people are not micro betting on each pitch. Yeah. You know, I, it's so funny. The, uh, the no run first inning uh, bet. Traps. How hilarious that is. I mean, over the past, over the past, this season, especially it has been on fire. And so, so when you have the proportion of, of people who are betting on no run first inning and the first five innings, you know, I don't know if that helps the complete game. It's like fantasy football kind of dismantling, like the genuine, you know, love for the NFL. I guess people will watch anyway, anyway, but like no run first inning has completely taken over, um, and, you know, we, we have a guy at the Action Network who just does that. Um, so so I'm not sure if this is going to save baseball, but, uh, you know, there's there's definitely more action on it. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see what what happens and the integration. I mean, integration into broadcast is the next big thing. Let's see how that happens. Absolutely. And and I'm just thinking about because I. You know, I, I bet on baseball every day and um, our big thing on TikTok, of course, has been the MLB best bets. And we felt that, you know, we get people into gambling and then they end up watching the games and they realize, man, this sport is kind of awesome. It's kind of awesome. And that's a lot of the feedback that we've gotten, too. So at least on our side, it almost does seem like it's at least working with people of my age. But then another thing that people my age are very interested in is NFTs. And NFTs have also taken the world by storm. Of course, crypto is crashing now and people are having second thoughts about NFTs. Are you having second thoughts about NFTs and the future of them in sports? I mean, I like the idea of a smart contract, the blockchain, like the idea that it can connect you. Love the idea of tickets as NFTs where you could say, okay, I scanned in, I've been to this game. And then when I, when I leave, uh, automatically a highlight goes in my wallet. And I can collect the games that I've been. Maybe I can even sell them. I like that idea. 
I think once it got into like the collecting of like none of the people, so many people who got into NFTs didn't collect art, but all of a sudden they're collecting digital art. That doesn't make any sense. Um, I think it, it, <laughs> it became all about money. And then when, when, when I would crap on NFTs, people would be like, well, you have physical tickets. I'm like, I'm not dumb enough to, to totally like ruin myself over, over what I've collected. Um, but I did own digital horses uh, for, for 41 days, uh, bought $93,000 worth of digital horses. Zed <laughs> and um, I was walking around with my ear pods and I was closing doors. And my wife said, are you cheating on me? And I was like, no, why do you think that? She goes, you never have pods in your ears. What are you talking about? I'm like, she's like, you're closing doors. And I'm like, right then and there, I'm like, okay, this is a serious allegation. So I'm like, I bought $93,000 in digital horses. And she's like, sell them now. I'm like, well, they're, they're, they're going to be worth more and more. And she's like, no, sell them now or I'll divorce you. And um, so I sold them. I made about a hundred thousand dollar profit. And then like two months later, uh i go what do you think those horses are worth she's like you're gonna say a million dollars and i'm like no 2.7 million and she's like whatever like but it was it was but it was it was it was temporary but i like the utility of it i think there's a place for it but you know it's always going to be tied to crypto and i don't really believe in crypto so even with investing in it, uh, you don't necessarily believe in it, or was it the the investment that kind of you? No, I invested in it. I mean, I invested in it because I wanted to be vested in it. I wanted to. I wanted to see. I threw a ton of money into Bitcoin and Ethereum. Yeah, you know, I feel like whether it's a false sense of control or not, I feel like I control my investments a little bit more. And I was just baffled by like going to sleep and then all of a sudden being down $18,000. I mean, like at least the market closes, like going to sleep. I, I mean, Jesus. Uh, and people are like, Oh, that's on paper. I'm like, Nope. Paper is, is real for me. So I was, I was uncomfortable. Also my gambling experience suggested you never buy the dip. You don't buy the dip. If, if I have an under and I'm about to lose it, I don't say, oh, the odds are better if I throw in more money. So I'm going to throw in more money. That's what the buying of the dip is. The best yeah. bettors, the best bettors know when they lost and they move on. And that's how they make money. And so if you're buying the dip, that's totally against everything I know as a live better. That's absolutely true. I mean, I, I, I say it all the time. Don't chase your losses. No. I mean, don't chase your losses. And but. I do have to ask you too, not the worst investment you ever made in terms of a dollar amount, but was there just an investment that you think about now still to this day, where you think to yourself, why in the world did I do that? Because I do that all the time with some bets and some investments I have. Well, the biggest learning experience for me, I still made money, but I, I miscalculated. So a lot, some of my investment thesis is based on anniversaries. So I bought the uh, a New York Times signed by the three moon men, the Apollo 11 New York Times on the 49th anniversary, hoping to flip it for the 50th. Hmm. Um, and it was like $27,000, really expensive newspaper. And um, I had a plan. And at the end of the day, I got greedy. And instead of going to Christie's, which had this great auction the week of the moon landing and they got crazy prices. I'm like, I don't want to give 15% to Christie's. 
I tried to do it myself and I didn't hit the anniversary. And it was like a week and a half later and the prices were down like 60%. So I didn't lose, but I, I, I did lose in the fact that I made a mistake thinking that I could sell this myself. And so, you know, I think that's just been a general business thing for me, you know, a hundred percent of zero is zero. Uh, if, if, if you can get a bigger number and give away to, to other people, then go do it. And so that's kind of been a, that's been more than a collecting lesson for me. It's kind of been a life lesson. Circling back to the, the sports book and baseball thing. One last question I wanted to ask you there. Uh, and probably the last one for me is just seeing that we're, we're seeing the sports book in Wrigley. We're seeing the nationals, you know, with bet MGM, do you think that it's feasible within the next decade that every single team in baseball will have some sort of betting component in their stadium or adjacent to it uh, by yeah, within the next decade? I mean, it's interesting betting inside the stadium. It depends on how much of a better you are. I mean, I think what's keeping people away from disconnecting if they are a big better is live betting. I mean, if you're 15 to 45 seconds behind on sling or some other streaming service, you're going to lose your money. Um, so being at the game provides something that's 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 better. Of course, the problem is that people don't want to bet just on one game. Um, you know, we, we, we had all these uh, ideas that these stadiums are going to be filled with kiosks. And then just like in 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 Great Britain. But the thing is that kiosks are one offs and they don't tell you who you are. You just go in and, you know, that's not good for sports gambling so what these guys have done is they've made these lounges that get you to download the app and then you have it when you're home and that's really what increases the kiosks are even though people are saying where are they they're really not going to be around they're not revenue generators um so it's it's going to be interesting to see right i mean right now they're essentially sports bars that get people to download their app that's what it is and it's not like uh, you know, ticket takers and all these other things. So I think it's just interesting that it's not what our pre preconceived notion of what it totally. was going to be. Well, thank you so much, Darren, for joining us. I will always remember you opening up that bag and just taking out piece of history after piece of history after piece of history. And my mouth was like dropped to the floor. So thank you so much. But should we, again, should we end, should we end on, on a, a, a couple that I have here? Should we, end? I mean, we could keep going for hours. I mean, well, we Aaron had not seen some of this stuff, so uh, Arm, seriously, it, it's just it's incredible. I'm, in. I, it's I, just... I'm in to see any of this stuff. I all right, this, well, this will get you. This will get you. This is a full of the George Brett Pine Tar game. No that way, was, that was one of my favorites. You showed how beautiful that's so that. cool. Would, and then what you can get that signed by George Brett? I don't know if I want it to get it signed because it's it, like perfect, it just looks perfect. And then on the back, which is also the cool part about tickets. It's got the Michelob ad, which is so 1983. It hurts, you know. That's so. That, awesome. That's the other thing. Like you, you're you're getting ads on the back of these things that are reminiscent of the time. All right, one more. Great. <laughs> What's amazing is that's the most unassuming game ever, and that's the cool thing is you go to a ball game, you don't know, you know, what kind of history you're going to see, and most people probably discarded their ticket there because after that whole. George Brett Pintar thing. There's no way they're like, oh, this will be remembered forever. Exactly. And yet it was. Yeah. So this is one I need to get graded. I already have one, but I'm. Oh, let's go. I, I love it. I, I grew up a fan of the U, obviously. Okay, so I went to Syracuse, is... but my mom went to the U, so I love that. What... Okay, so this is the Doug Flutie Hail Mary. 
I knew. So, it was but what's what's great about it is, <clears throat> if you look, do you see that the X's that Saturday, November twenty fourth, there have had it's been X'd out. Yeah, and, and it says Friday, November twenty third. So what happened is in between printing the tickets and sending them to people, they're like, oh my God, we're changing this game to Friday. Yes, people read newspapers, but we don't want people showing up on Saturday. So some poor person in the Miami Athletic Department office had to, with 50,000 tickets, had to X out the 24th and type the 23rd. So oh those are on gosh. all the tickets also, Eastern Airlines, Miami's hometown airline, a very defunct airline. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I've never flown Eastern, so I can't say yeah. they're uh, Miami's so airline it, Anyway, anyway, yeah, it's continually fun. Um, I am always looking to acquire crazy pieces that Peter Appel will be like, no way. <laughs> hey, you keep coming on the Just Baseball Show and you keep showing us, I'm going to keep giving you the same reaction because it's a genuine reaction because it's just incredible. And I just appreciate this history. You know, we were able to interview Joe Posnanski and he was one of my favorite interviews ever. I just love history, especially in sports. And for you to be able to come on and give this to us, really appreciate the time, Darren. Thanks so much for coming on. You got it, guys. Great show.